0: There's a bit of a difference, you know, when, when Don leads the hymn singing and I lead the hymn singing. I, I'm really, really happy that you're here, Brother Don. Thank you very much. A wonderful blessing to have you. Okay, we, were, we took our reading from Psalm 42. I encourage you to please turn your Bibles back to Psalm 42. It's a, uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful passage that we have in Scripture. i just got my glasses. before we start, let's, uh, let's open in a word of prayer. ask the Lord to bless this time. Father, dear Lord, as the wind turns about us here, dear Father, as we, as we struggle in times, dear Lord, to be able to concentrate on the things that matter most to you, dear Father, so we can be so easily distracted by what is going on around us. We know, dear Father, that your word is true. We know, dear Lord, that it works within our hearts and within our lives, that we might be able to rejoice in the knowledge of who you are, but we also know, dear Lord, that there are serious turmoils within a Christian's life at times. In this study this morning, dear Father, I just pray, dear Lord, that you would be with us, dear Father, as we go through this wonderful psalm. As we consider it, dear Lord, and as we might apply it to our own lives, And if not, dear Lord, apply to our own lives that we would understand the plight of other Christians around us. We pray, dear Lord, that you would be a blessing to us this morning. Be with me, dear Lord, as I preach your word. And let your spirit, dear Father, minister to each one that's here this morning. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. The um, topic that we're on this morning is the characteristics of Christian depression. It's a, um, it's a strange one in a way to consider. We don't often speak about depression and we don't speak about depression typically in a Christian's life. Um, but I found it to be a topic that was really, really important for us as Hope Baptist Church um, to continue within that beginning set of sermons that and beginning set of teachings that we're going through uh, for the first 12 weeks, and we're going to be concluding on this topic. It'll be this week and, and next week. Um, there's an ancient fable that's told where Satan was given a, um, a choice of one temptation to retain, one temptation with which he can afflict the child of God. And the fable tells us that he chose the temptation of despair he said give me despair In having despair i have everything i need despair depression despondency is characteristically understood synonymously with one another but understood as that which is a lack of hope it's a lack of hope it's not something a christian should be experiencing It's not something a Christian should be experiencing. And yet we do. We do. And it's a temptation that's particularly afflicting Christians. We see depression in the world today. We know that it's, it's rampant. Depression for the world today is very different to the depression of the Christian. And yet we still seem to come close. In the world there is a lack of hope. And justly so. In the world there is a lack of purpose. And justly so. Because within the world, if there is no God and if there is no creator, then there is no purpose. We are just a product of our environment. But to a Christian who knows God, who knows the truth of who He is, who knows that they were created for a purpose, you can't think of it other than a fleshly sin. To lack hope. And here... In Psalm 42, is what I find a marvellous outline. It's an outline of how a Christian experiences this up and down state. We know the truth, and yet we find ourselves continually moving in that direction. Up and down, up and down, up and down. The first verse here, he says... As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. You know, who can imagine the thirst of a soul that's experienced God, that's experienced salvation, that experienced that wonderful washing away of our sin, cleansing completely of our own sin? Who can understand that but the child of God? Here the psalmist describes his desperate thirst for the living God and he knows only too well that God and God alone is the only one that can quench it. God and God alone can only quench this thirst. Remember when Jesus spoke to the woman of the well in John chapter 4? You remember that? When he draws the water up and he says to the woman, she, she goes there, she's thirsting, she's coming there for water and Jesus says to her, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water of life that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. That's that water of life. That's what they're thirsting for. That's what they're looking for. You know, you know this is the water so earnestly sought after by the psalmist. This is that water that the deer seeks after. That word heart is, refers to a deer. It's not this heart, it's, it's a deer as the heart panteth after the water brooks. A deer seeks after it and moves so quickly through the forest, through the mountains, earnestly knowing that at the lowest part of the mount he might find the water brook. It's the lowest part of the mount. And this is often the place where we need to come to in our lives before we are then willing to drink of that water of life freely. Isn't it interesting how we often have to come to the lowest part within our lives before we'd even accept Christ? You know, we have to come to that lowest point. It seems to be only at that point that God can really work within our lives. It's only at that point oftentimes when we've given up trying to do everything on our own accord and our own way and we realise that that's empty and it doesn't pay for anything. That's when we seem to seek after God, you know, so, there's two questions that we want to be able to answer as we go through this. The first one is, why do we go through it, both as Christians or non-Christians? The second is, what is the characteristic of this state that we might be able to recognise it? We're only going to be dealing with the second one today. The first one we're going to be talking about a little bit next week. That's the characteristic of depression in the lives of those who belong to the Lord... This psalm is, is actually a worthy outline. Now, you'll notice in your bulletins, there are seven points. All right, don't get too frightened. It doesn't mean we're going to be that long in the, in the subject. We're going to be going fairly quickly through it. But it was a good way of being able to break up this, this psalm. The first point is a good beginning. And he says here, As the heart panteth after the water brooks, So panteth my soul after thee, O God. Verse 2, my soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? What we can see in the first two verses, the psalmist knows the Lord. He knows the Lord. Now, many people think that this is King David. There are a lot of similarities between this psalm and the writings of King David. But they don't exactly know where it could be placed. It could either be placed right at the beginning of his walk, not walk with the Lord, but rather the beginning of his persecutions when he was persecuted by Saul. Remember the Saul, the king, was coming after him to take his life. But there was somebody else after his life at the latter part of his, um, latter part of his kingdom and that was his own son, Absalom. So we don't know exactly if this is one of his psalms, whether it was actually founded in either of those two points. But we know that he knows the Lord. He begins well in recognising his greatest desire, thirsting after God, desiring to be with him, his soul panting after God, and he likens it to the the heart who pants after the water brooks. Psalm 84, 2 says, My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. Psalm 63, a psalm of David, known as a psalm of David, he says this, he says, O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh longeth for thee, in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. He says, to see thy power and thy glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary, because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Don't we have a hymn? We have a hymn that's like that, don't we? I can remember that. And we can go on and we can recount all the Psalms. So many of the Psalms singing praise to God, thirsting after God, asking Him to deliver them from their anguish, from their temptations, from the difficulties that they're going through within their lives. That's why oftentimes when you see them sell just the New Testament, they'll often have the New Testament together with Psalms and Proverbs. So valuable are those Psalms. And so beautiful because they speak of the heart of the matter. They speak of the heart of God. And it's really interesting that right in the middle of your Bible, you have the heart of God demonstrated. Those five books, we have Job, we have Psalms, we have Proverbs, we have Song of Solomon and we have Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes Song of Solomon. Those five books wedge right in the middle of your Bible, right in the heart of God speaking about the heart of man and longing in his need for God. But it's not just the Psalms we could look at. We could look at and consider the song of Moses. We can see the song of Moses as the children of Israel reach the other side of the Red Sea. We can see how they've, how they've um, found that wonderful hope and that beautiful song of, uh, of, of Moses there. We could consider the speech and the song of Deborah as she relayed the glorious triumph of the Lord over the enemy in Israel. Um, Sisera, remember Sisera? Remember Sisera? He, uh, he was taken and he, he had that, uh, that nail peg put through, his, put through him and all of a sudden he had that wonderful deliverance of, of Israel and what a blessing that was in Scripture to see. We could speak about the wonderful praise of Hannah. She's longing after her son. She's longing after a son and finally God gives her a son. He gives her a son and she gives us this beautiful praise. We know who that son was. We know that that was the prophet Samuel. And we could speak about Solomon when he dedicates the temple. You see that also in scripture. What a beautiful picture that that is of of Solomon praising God. Or Mary as her soul did magnify the Lord, her saviour, that she may bear the son of God, Emmanuel, Emmanuel. That's the name of Jesus, God with us, Emmanuel. You know, you haven't only got that in history. You've got people praising God through hymns and songs. I, um, I got onto, uh, on the internet, and I found a, a passage or a, a website called hymnary.org. Within that, within that uh, list of hymns, there are 7,465 hymns within that website. And they are found in... 5,724 different hymn books. That's quite a few, isn't it? But that still doesn't even scratch the surface. We know that Fanny Crosby alone composed over 8,000 hymns. Charles Wesley composed 8,989 hymns in his life. That's only two individuals. That's their praise before God. Um, Dr. What's his name? Dr. Frank Baker calculated that Charles Wesley wrote an average of 10 lines of verse every day for 50 years. I sort of wonder another 11 hymns and he would have cracked 9,000. But 8,989 hymns by one man. This is the heart of man who's praising and glorifying God. What, what nations sing that about their own leaders? What, what gods are praised in this way? There are none. There are no gods praised in this way as we praise the Lord. This is that song of praise that wells up within us that we desire God. That's that praise. You know, before I knew God, I showed him nothing but contempt. I showed him nothing but contempt. I blamed him for all the ills and I showed no gratitude for everything that he'd done. It was always his fault, never mine. And that's how I felt before I knew Him. After I came to the knowledge of the Lord, I could never think ill of Him again. I just couldn't do it. And though I personally struggled, I struggled long and hard with depression in my life. But I can never recall doing anything other than praise Him for not letting me go. For not letting me go. You know? When you go through those dark moments in your life, You're questioning your own salvation. You don't know whether you know the Lord. But when you return back to the book, as we see the psalmist go through this passage here, you find assurance there. But we have these beautiful high points and the psalmist here presents those wonderful high points. And then we have this come upon him. in the second point, a doubt of heart. He says, my tears have been my meat day and night, while they continually say unto me, where is thy God? Moments of doubt creep into the heart, especially as an early Christian. When you first come to the knowledge of Christ and the knowledge of the Lord, it doesn't take much that doubt all of a sudden really pierces your own heart. You'll notice something interesting here. It's his tears that have been his meat. It's his tears that continually say unto him, where is thy God? This is a pain, and this is an affliction that's not coming from without. It's coming from within. It's coming from inside. And just as the devil tempted our proto-parents in Genesis chapter five, in Genesis chapter three, just as He tempted them with doubt, so he continues to afflict us with doubt, with doubt with regards to the truth of God. And this is what we see happening here. It's those tears. Depression is also that that comes within. It's, it's primarily and typically not something that's due to circumstance. I remember when I was going through it and, and I remembered trying to work it out and to analyse it and to, and to think of the depth of my own state and, and towards the end of it and, it, and it was a struggle of 10 years. And it was a struggle that was mostly during my Christian walk. But towards the end of it, I started logically trying to put this together. Why do I feel the way I feel? Why are my emotions, why art thou cast down, O my soul? And the more I considered it, the more I realised I don't have enough to be this, this much in despair. I don't have enough going on in my life that would make me this miserable. And yet it was. My tears have been my meat day and night, while they continually say unto me, Where is thy God? Where is God in my pain? Where is God in my broken spirit? Where is God in my despair? My feet would almost slip with these questions. Tears and more tears, and yet we turn to the wonderful relief of Scripture, only to find even in King David's speech, when he says in Psalm 119, 136, he says, Rivers of waters run down mine eyes, because they keep not thy law. Finally, Finally, I had had someone that I could relate to. Rivers of waters run down mine eyes and it gave me an understanding of potentially why those rivers of waters were running down mine eyes and it was because I was keeping not thy law. I wasn't following after the God who had saved me. His law was now written within my own heart and yet I wasn't obeying. I wasn't trusting. I wasn't believing. And yet they were there. And turning again to the Scriptures, I realized that it was the Spirit of God that I was grieving. It wasn't just me. It was the Spirit that's within me that I was grieving. And I found that again in the Scriptures in Ephesians chapter 4, where he says, "...let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption." Maybe that was what I was doing. Maybe that was what I was doing. So the Bible started giving me comfort. And here we come to the next part, the third point, a determined relief. While he speaks on the one hand that my tears have been my meat day and night, and they continually say unto me, where is thy God? Here, he says, when I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me. For I had gone with a multitude, I went with them to the house of God with a voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept holy day. Why art, why art thou cast down on my soul? And why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. When I remember these things, he says, what things? What things does he remember in which he would pour out his soul? He went indeed with the multitude, he went with many people and he went to the house of God and he had done that with, with a voice of praise and a wonderful song within his heart, with joy and he went with those who kept holy day. This is the ancient word holiday, we have holiday today, it was actually holy day originally. It, was, it always referred to a, a religious observance, it was a festival or a time of, um, uh, a time of praise for God. Colossians 2.16 also speaks about Holy Day. It's another passage. And this is what the psalmist recalls. He recalls attending to all those things, yet he pours out his soul in verse 5, saying, why art thou cast down on my soul? We go to church. We spend time reading his word. We spend time with the Lord in prayer. We're doing all the right things, aren't we? We're doing the right stuff. And yet... Why art thou cast down? So why are you cast down? Why am I depressed? Why am I going through this misery within my own heart? Even though I'm doing the things that I'm expected to do. And yet, as we continue on with that, you notice that he concludes that in the latter half of verse 5. He says, Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. See, Like a normal believer, we know where our hope is found. We know where our hope is found. We know that it's not found in the world. I could have thought of going back into the world, but there's no hope there. We know that our hope is found in the Word of God and in the relationship with God alone. Yet we find ourselves in this state where sometimes we come to depression. Yet we determine here, and he determines here, that he would find relief within God and within his word the natural tendency of those going through depression is towards solitude and it's difficult to answer if this is a benefit or not that's one of the things we also go through you go through solitude you go through a time where you just want to be alone you don't want to be with anybody you don't want anybody to be around you when Moses went through it he asked the Lord to take his life he said let me not see my own wretchedness And it's much more. You don't want anybody else to see your wretchedness. So you will revert to solitude. Now, to those who are Christ's, this might be a good thing. To those who know Jesus, this might be a good thing. To those who don't know the Lord, where are they going to go? Turn your Bibles to 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 19, if you've got them with you. 1 Kings chapter 19. One of the historical books of the Bible. Remember the first number of books of the Bible are all historical. 1 Kings chapter 19, we see an account given us here of Elijah. Elijah has, chapter before, just finished an incredible work for the Lord. He has renounced the 400 prophets of Baal. He's ridiculed their God. It's quite funny, some of those passages. And here we see him uh, in a bit of a state, Because at this point now, we're finding that um, his life wants to be taken from him. Have a look at verse 1. And it says, in in chapter 19, verse 1, it says, Nahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and withal how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Bathsheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die and said, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. It actually tells you a few other things within that passage. And we'll talk about that next week. But what we're seeing here is that Elijah leaves his servant and he takes a day's journey into the wilderness. He's got no desire for company and he's certainly no desire that anyone else would witness his own wretched state. But this is where he meets the Lord. And the Lord expounds to him things more perfectly. He expounds to him things more perfectly. God meets us just where we are. But we have to be willing to seek after his counsel. It has to be his counsel we're looking for, not our own. Let's not be like Solomon where we're inquiring within our own heart. We need to be seeking the heart of the Lord. We need to be open to his words, to what he has to say. And this is why in our own passage here, verse five concludes with a determined reckoning, hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him. For the help of his countenance. Now having done so, don't expect that despair and depression will willingly subside without a fight. And then we see that in the next point, the slough of despondency I've called this. And I've actually taken that out of um, John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. I'll speak a little bit more about that next week. The slough of despond where he found no footing for his feet, no step for him to stand on. And here he says in verse 6, Oh my God, back to Psalm 42, sorry. He says, Oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore will I remember thee from the land of Jordan and from the Her- and of the Hermonites. From the hill Mizar, deep calleth unto deep at the noise of thy water spouts. All thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. It's a typical characteristic of depression. It's this yo-yo up and down we're experiencing. And you determine to set yourself well. You read the word. You pray to the Lord. You go to church. All those things are done. And then you come to that point only to ask again, why art thou cast down, O my soul? You might then rise up after the Lord. And deep within, you know your hope is in Him. You question and ask why you feel the way you do. Not yet lighting on the answer. he says, oh, my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, will I remember thee. Clearly, the psalmist here understood that even though he didn't know the answer, he knew that God did. He knew that God did. If his soul is cast down, he knew, therefore, he would remember the Lord. Therefore, I remember the Lord. He would know who it is that has his soul kept. Dear brethren, if there are times of depth of despair, in the depth of despair you have to understand something, it might get deeper. It might get deeper before you pull yourself out or you are pulled out. Charles Spurgeon, he's a great preacher of uh, the 1800s in England and he suffered terribly from depression. You wouldn't know it, I can give you a list of of people, incredibly famous people who suffered with depression. I've read so many different anecdotes of people who suffered with depression. Famous people who thought they achieved nothing in their lives. And we're talking about presidents and sporting personalities whose names you know. People that have struggled in so many ways. Charles Spurgeon is one of them and he has this interesting quote. He says, There are dungeons beneath the castles of despair. Whoa, it gives you a little bit of a picture of how deep, how deep he suffered with depression. And yet he was known as the Prince of Preachers. He had congregations of tens of thousands. People bought tickets to sit within the Metropolitan Tabernacle in England because there were still not enough seats. They bought tickets to sit there. So he suffered terribly with depression. Deep calleth unto deep at the noise of thy water spouts. All thy billows, all thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. We know that he's not the only one. We know that he's not the only one. We know someone else suffered in the same way. Have a look at the book of Jonah. Actually, I can read it for you if you like, but if you want, you can turn there. Jonah, chapter 2. Jonah says this. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and He heard me. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardest my voice. For thou hadst cast me into the deep, in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about, all thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight. Yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. You must get the impression that Jonah had the word of God in his hand as he was as he was praying unto the Lord. You know, sometimes it would be the purpose of the Lord for us to go through these things. You know, sometimes it's the Lord that brings this despair on us. If you're in the Psalms, turn back one book to the book of Job. Job chapter 3. Listen to Job's lamentation. You understand what happened to Job? You remember what happened to him? remember not only did he lose his family except for his wife him the Lord blessed to retain not only did he lose everything he lost all his business he lost his cattle he lost everything that he had and he lost all his children and this was an affliction that was given to him and unfortunately Job didn't have the benefit of Psalm chapter 2 which would have given him an understanding of who was involved in this But not only was the devil content with that, he wanted to touch his flesh, skin for skin, he said to the Lord. All that a man hath would he give for his life, but touch his flesh and he will curse you to your face. The Lord said, touch his flesh, but spare his life, he told him. And now Job, scraping himself with the boils that had come upon him from head to toe he was covered in him, and he's scraping himself trying to relieve the pain and the itch that would come from it and he's using using what's called pots herds broken pieces of pottery to do this could you understand his lamentation here have a listen to it in verse 3 of chapter 3 he says let the day perish wherein i was born and the night in which it was said there is a man child conceived let the day let that day be darkness let not god regard it from above Let neither the light shine upon it. Let darkness and the shadow of death stain it. Let a cloud dwell upon it. Let the blackness of the day terrify it. As for that night, let darkness seize upon it. Let it not be joined unto the days of the year. Let it not come unto the number of the months. Lo, let that night be solitary. Let no joyful voice come therein. Let them curse it that curse the day, who are ready to raise up their morning. Let the stars of the twilight thereof be dark. Let it look for light but have none. Neither let it see the dawning of the day, because it shut up not the doors of my mother's womb, nor hid sorrow from mine eyes. Why died I not from the womb? Why did I not give up the ghost when I came out of the belly? Can you see his sorrow? Can you feel it? Can you understand what he's going through? Can you imagine this, how deep a mourning does he have to curse the very day of his birth. We celebrated a birthday this morning. My son turned 19. And yet here we have Job cursing that day for his own life. He's cursing it in misery and sorrow. You know, while we enjoy ours, we rejoice in our birthdays. He doesn't hear. He doesn't hear. He's in misery and he curses the very day that he was born. But this is an affliction that's different, you see. This affliction has come from without. hasn't come from within. This is an affliction that's come upon him. It's not come from inside him. And there's a distinction between this type of despair or this type of depression or sadness or grief, you might call it, and what we are really trying to address. But understand that people have gone through misery for one reason or another, regardless of where um, your waves and billows stem that might go over you, know of a certainty whether you know the Lord or not, there is a purpose in them. See, even those who don't know God and don't believe in God, though they believe that they have no purpose, yet there is a purpose for their lives. There there is nobody on earth that is not here for a reason. There is nobody on earth that is not here for a reason. And there is nobody on earth who do not go through sorrows or go through difficulties that is not done for a purpose. If our Lord Jesus might sweat blood in extreme anxiety and stress for what was about to occur, yet it being the purpose of God alone, then it can only be for benefit. We read in Romans 28, you know that beautiful passage in Romans eight twenty-eight, where he says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. We know that if you know God, all things work together for good. If you don't know God and you're going through this, its purpose is to draw you to God. It's to draw you to him. It's to draw you to him. Let me summarise this point. If it is of the Lord, if it is of the Lord, if the depth of your sorrows are of the Lord, then it is for a purpose. And if it is for a purpose, its time is limited. Do you hear what I said? Its time is limited. It is not something that you will endure until the day of your death. Its time is limited. If it's God's purpose for you to go through this, it will enact that end for which he made it manifest. Rest in him. Rest in him. And brings me to this next point, an abiding rest, verse 8. Yet the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me, and my prayer unto the God of my life. And this is our joy. This is our joy and our hope. We know certainly that the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. Uh, and in the night, his song will be with us. See how it is for the Christian who suffers. He has his soul cast down. It's not an easy ride. There's a time where hope endures. Hope endures. Even though our lives can often find themselves with many highs and lows. Here, the psalmist determines yet to abide in the Lord. He, he rests in him. And this is the place that we are to be. We are to rest in God, We are to abide in God and in God alone. And yet again, we see the psalmist fall again into the mire. Back again, he goes in verse 9, the next point, a return to the mire. I will say unto God, my rock, why hast thou forgotten me? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As a sword in my bones, my enemies reproach me. While they say daily unto me, where is thy God? Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? Now here we've got a change of this sad state. It's now no longer from within these distresses. But now the distresses are coming from without. Just when we would have our souls in good order, just when we're we're, we're now doing well, we've got our griefs and our inner anxieties and our, our depression under some form of control... Just, just when I've come out of the blue and now I know that I'm rejoicing in God and I know that he is my stay and I know that he is my hope and I know that he is my foundation and I know that his word is my rock and that which I go back to return to and I lift myself out, just as that happens, Satan's not done. Now he causes the stresses from without. He causes the difficulties from Without. Now it's a sword that pierces into your own bones and it can be from family, it can be from friends, it can be from work colleagues, it can be from just other situations that are going on in your life. All of a sudden now different griefs, different trials come and again it's just like that temptation on the one hand we have it as a temptation of the devil to take you off track and many christians there are that have fallen away and taken another track but yet it's also there to strengthen you to strengthen your resolve to return to the lord and to be with him and to reside in him we we've looked at the scripture and we've seen those who have endured so much despair we see elijah's trouble. You know, And we've heard of Job's lamentation uh, for his own dealings. Let's consider for a second Jeremiah. Let's have a look at Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. If you've got your Bibles there, turn to Jeremiah chapter 20. Jeremiah 20, chapter 20. So it's after all the wisdom passages that we've had. It's after Isaiah. Isaiah, Jeremiah. Good way of remembering which comes first and which comes second. Isaiah, Jeremiah. Now, think of Jeremiah. Jeremiah did no miracles. He didn't ask that fire would come down from heaven. He didn't stop the clouds from dropping their dew, from dropping rain for three years. He didn't do any of that. He didn't create famine within the land. Didn't do any of that. All he did for 40 years was preach the word of God. That's all he did. He preached on the streets of Jerusalem, preached only the word of God. We don't know of a single convert, incidentally don't know of a single convert. You contrast that with Jonah who preached in Nineveh for three days and we've got at least 120,000 people that have given their lives to the Lord. Didn't know such luck with Jeremiah, unfortunately. And they were there to persecute him now. They were now coming up against him. And have a look at verse 14 and see if you see some similarities. He says, Cursed be the day wherein I was born. Let not the day wherein my mother bear me be blessed. "'Cursed be the man who brought tidings to my father, "'saying, A man-child is born unto thee, "'making him very glad. "'And let that man be as the cities "'which the Lord overthrew and repented not. "'And let him hear the cry in the morning "'and the shouting at noontide, "'because he slew me not from the womb, "'or that my mother might have been my grave, "'and her womb to be always great with me. "'Wherefore came I forth out of the womb "'to see labour and sorrow, "'that my days should be consumed with shame?' You know, it's not only Jeremiah that feels this despair. It's not only Jeremiah that actually goes through this grief. Can you imagine God being grieved? Could you imagine God, in the words of God's own voice, lamenting in a similar way? And yet He does. He does. You're in Jeremiah, turn back to chapter 4. chapter 4 God has just finished describing the nature and the state of Jerusalem um, he's just finished speaking about its judgment and its affliction because of its own error and here we see none other than God lamenting so deeply in these three verses a few verses uh, verse 19 is where we're taking our text and this is the Lord speaking this is the Lord speaking he says, My bowels, my bowels, I am pained at my very heart. My heart maketh a noise in me, I cannot hold my peace. Because thou hast heard, O my soul, the sound of the trumpet, the alarm of war. Destruction upon destruction is cried, for the whole land is spoiled. Suddenly are my tents spoiled, and my curtains in a moment. How long shall I see the standard and hear the sound of the trumpet? For my people is foolish, they have not known me. They are sottish children and they have none understanding. They are wise to do evil, but to do good they have no knowledge. Brethren, if this is is that which is afflicting God, this is also coming from without. God doesn't lack hope. He is hope. He is our joy. He is our peace. He has within himself full contentment within his own relationship, within the Godhead. And yet, Here he laments and burns within his heart his own people. We've got a book in the Bible called Lamentations. Whose lamentations do you think they are? Jeremiah's doing the writing, but they are God's lamentations for his people, for Jerusalem, for that place. The psalmist seems to go to and fro like a double-minded man. He trusting mostly in his feelings and then he... Returns to hope in the Lord. And now he finds himself actually afflicted from the outside. And yet he ends and he finishes in this last point. Hope thou in God. The last point of our passage this morning. Verse 11. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God. For I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. It's a ready stay. It's a ready stay. It's where he will now hope. It's where he will now plant his feet, regardless of what is going on within his life. Regardless of the turmoils, regardless of the trials, regardless of the afflictions, he knows he sits upon solid ground, a solid rock. There's a story told of a boy who was cast away and he found himself Um, climbing on a rock, and he sat there for a day and a night before he was rescued. He was soaking wet. And he was asked by uh, his rescuers, are you trembling? He says, yes, I'm trembling. But this rock isn't, you know. When we stand on the Lord, when we stand on his word, when we stand in Scripture as our final authority for everything within our life, no matter how many times we are overcome, the Lord is not. And we can rest in Him. We can trust in Him. We can say as Job said, though He slay me, yet will I trust Him. Yet will I trust Him. We can burn in our hearts for those that are around us, for those that are broken hearted around us. And we can only pray for them. We can only ask the Lord to do a work in their lives, to bring them on a solid footing. But we cannot do that unless we are. We need to be on a solid footing. Guys, the reason why I wanted to bring out this text was because if we are living lives without hope, how are we going to share that hope with other people? How are we going to fulfil the commission of the Lord? That's why we're here You know, we're not here just because we want to get together in a social club. There's plenty of other places within Sunbury that we could be be attending to if we just wanted to have some good times with one another. But we're here to fulfil the commission of Christ. We can't do that without a firm foundation in the Word of God, but also without hope. And that's why a study like this is really important, because you need to return back to the Word of God back to hope in Christ that you might have a solid footing that you can share this glory and this hope with others. The psalm begins speaking of the heart, the deer, the pants after the water brooks. But you know, before that, the deer is grown as a, as a fawn, a baby, just a, just a very young one, it's often left alone by his mother. And it's left alone while his mother goes out to find food. The fawn stands perfectly still. It doesn't move from where it's been left. And it'll stay there for hours. Hours, it feels like an eternity when you're hungry. But he will stay in the one place for hours. He will not move until the doe returns to nurture him to bring to the babe the sustenance it needs to grow. If and when you're going through times of despair or depression, the Lord will tell you, be still and know that I am God. Be still. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, dear Lord. We thank you for this wonderful time. We thank you for the word of God. We thank you for its simplicity. We thank you, dear Lord, that it can nurture it can grow us it can strengthen us it can strengthen our resolve and no matter dear lord the waves and the billows would pass over our own heads we know father that we have hope in god that we have trust and our faith in him and in him alone we don't have strength of ourselves ask you dear lord my brothers and sisters that are here friends dear lord i pray dear father you would be with them encouraging them in the truth of god and if they don't know you If they've been overwhelmed in despair at times, Father, I pray, dear Lord, that you would show yourself to them. Manifest yourself to them, dear Father, that in every way they might be able to reach out and hope in God. I give you praise and thanks. Dear Father, please be with us, dear Lord, as we close this morning. I pray, dear Father, be with us. In Jesus' name. Amen.